as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we've done our very best, when we've labored long, obeyed fully, suffered sacrificially, and made great strides toward holiness, at our very best, we are still just unprofitable servants. Now that may be a shock to some, that may seem a bit blunt, but... I'm not the originator of those words. I want you to hear what the Lord Jesus says in one verse in Luke 17, 10. Here's what Jesus said. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. 
It's a reminder, beloved, there's no room for pride in our life. There's no place for gloating and showboating and bragging. We are unprofitable servants. We are disciples. We're bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. We belong to him. Every bit of us. All of us. We understand we're not to have first place. We're not to have preeminence. It's reserved for one and one alone. His name is Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, I've reminded you before, and I'll remind us again this morning, this is not our church. This is his church. We are the body of Christ meeting here, and we're here to please him. And so we realize that while we're congregational in government and we're allowed to vote, and that's a wonderful privilege, we're only so under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is Lord. And we are his body. And every member is to seek his, his lordship and his will and desire in all things. And you might be wondering, preacher, where are you going with this? Where's all this coming from? Why are you bringing that? Well, I'm glad you're interested because we're going to go to a little letter in the New Testament, the little letter of Third John. Now, it's very easy to find. Go to Revelation, turn back a page or two, and there you'll be in the little book of 3 John. Now, we studied the book of 2 John in the end of 2013. And then a couple of weeks ago, we finished the study of 1 John. So I just couldn't leave little 3 John laying there. And it felt left out. So I thought, well, it was only appropriate for us to, to finish out John's epistles today. So we'll have 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Now, the letter probably only takes up one page in your Bible. And in that, we're introduced to three different men. Their names are Gaius, Theotrephes, and Demetrius. I know we have some that are expecting soon, and maybe you're wondering about names. So there are possibilities there. Gaius, Diotrephes. But anyway, I'll, I'll leave that to you. Now, John writes the letter to Gaius. He writes it to Gaius. The man by the name of Diotrephes is the one who necessitates the letter. The reason that it's written, if you will. And Demetrius seems to be the one that carried the letter from John um, to uh, Gaius. And so we're going to look here at uh, what the Lord has to say in third John. Now, we cannot be certain, but it appears that Gaius and Diotrephes were members of the same church, which is important as we read it. Now, beloved, I, I trust you're aware churches are made up of people. Did you know that churches are made up of people? And even though they're made up of people, uh, redeemed people, I hope. Nonetheless, because people are involved, there will be problems. Isn't it true that wherever you have a group of people, eventually there'll be some sort of problem that will arise? And you're going to see what I'm talking about here as we look at the little book of Third John. Third John. Would you read it as I uh, would you read along as I read it this morning? Third John says the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. 
Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Verse nine. I wrote to the church. But Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words and not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Verse 12. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness. And you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly. We shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Now, I want to examine these three men this morning. Gaius, Diotrephes, and Demetrius. And we're going to change the order just slightly. We're going to look at the positive first. We're going to look at, at, at Gaius and Demetrius. And we'll save the negative until the very end. A man by the name of Diotrephes. And by the way, that's a good practice when dealing with others, right? You bring up the good before you bring up the bad. You seek to build up so you don't totally tear down. So let's look at the the positive in this letter here. Let's look first of all at Gaius. How can we describe this man by the name Gaius? Well, I'm going to give you two words. Very simply, we're going to say that he's godly and he's generous. I think you'll see it as we look at the passage. He's godly and generous. Now, Gaius is no stranger to John. He calls him beloved over and over in verses one, verse two, verse five, verse 11. It's obvious they shared a very warm, friendly, special relationship. John loved Gaius in the truth. Now, we don't know if John won Gaius to the Lord personally because he talks about his little children. But the older John talks about a lot of believers that way. But it's very probable It's possible, at least, that he actually personally led Gaius to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You know, beloved, as I looked at verse four, I thought every believer should be able to say the same thing. Whether we're talking about our children, that people that we've led to the Lord or we're talking about our own children, our biological children. Is there any greater joy than to know and hear and see that your children are walking in the truth? To know that your children know, love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll be honest in our world, beloved. I grow concerned when I see parents that are making sure their children have every advantage, every opportunity to excel in every area, academics and athletics and social and financial, et cetera, et cetera. They make sure everything is in place, but yet they neglect one area. In fact, they neglect the most important area, and that is the spiritual. That is families who would not dream of neglecting school, neglect the house of God. 
families who, who wouldn't dare go back on a commitment to a team or a group or, or anything like that who regularly go back on their commitment to Sunday school. You see, beloved, what profit is it if your child gains the whole world but loses his or her own soul? No greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You see, our greatest joy as believers is to be Jesus. He's our greatest joy. He's the center of our life. Whatever else our children may do, whatever else they may be, whatever they become, our greatest joy, our prayer, our desire, our goal is that they would be like Jesus. To know Him, to love Him, to serve Him. Our greatest joy. Now, when John thought about Gaius, it brought great joy to his life. Do you have anybody like that in your life? You think about them, just, just their name, just the thought of it. It brings great joy to your life. He says in verse 3, For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. John knew that, that Gaius was prospering spiritually. He knew that Gaius was godly and Gaius was, was going on with the Lord. But his desire was that he might prosper physically as well. He says in verse 2, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So some reading this believe that maybe Gaius was a sickly person. Maybe he was ill. We don't know for certain. It may have just been a courteous way of greeting, as was common in that day. But we find out here that it's right to show concern over the physical as well as the spiritual. It's right to pray for other people. It's right to pray for the sick. It's, it's right to desire they might be well physically as well as spiritually. It's right to show that kind of concern. See, Gaius was godly. And that brought great joy to John. But did you know Gaius is also generous? Look at verse 5. John writes, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his name's sake. You might be curious. You don't see the name of Jesus where there it is for his name's sake. This is for the Lord's sake. Taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. See, hospitality was a big deal in the early church. And it ought to be a big deal in our church. When those itinerant preachers would come along preaching the truth, they found a warm and friendly welcome by this man named Gaius. They found his hospitality. They found help. They found a place to stay, food to eat, and a means to continue the good work that they were doing. And did you notice that by doing so, Gaius glorified God and had a share in what they were doing? Look at verse 8 again. We therefore ought to receive such. Now watch this next part. That we may become fellow workers for the truth. We ought to be so excited about praying for Giving to and helping other people share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine getting to heaven, beloved? There you are in heaven. And you're meeting people from all over the world. And someone comes up to you and they say, thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. And you're there in heaven. I'm assuming we're going to know who everybody is in heaven. But maybe you'll say to them, well, thank you for what? 
I mean, I don't ever remember meeting you upon the earth. I don't ever remember our, our paths crossing. And that person looks at you and says, yes, that's true. But you see, you prayed and you gave money so that a missionary could come to my village and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you provided water and and food and shelter that I could continue my physical life to the point where I was able to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and be saved. You see, you didn't even realize it, maybe, but you were a fellow worker with that missionary. You were a fellow worker with that one that shared the gospel with me. What a joy it will be to meet so many in heaven that just by our obedience and our faithfulness to Christ, we've touched their lives for the gospel. Glory, glory, hallelujah. What an awesome thing that would be to meet those that we've touched. We've never met them here, but glory to meet them there. What an awesome thing. And he says, listen, you you become a fellow workers for the truth. You see, Gaius was a bright spot in John's life. And, And while they couldn't Skype and they couldn't FaceTime and they couldn't email back and forth, John wanted so badly to see his friend face to face. Look at verse 13. I had many things to write. John's a preacher, you know, he's a lot to write. But here's what he says. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you, brother. He says here, our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. What a glory it is to have friends in Christ. See, Gaius was godly. Gaius was generous. Gaius would be a joy for any church to have as a member. Man, to have a godly, generous Gaius. But there's a second one mentioned here. We're we're skipping on down in the letter. There's a man by the name of Demetrius. Demetrius. Now, we said that Gaius is godly and generous. We'll use two words for Demetrius. We'll use the words faithful and true. Faithful and true. Look at verse 12. Only one verse is given to Demetrius. And before we read it, remind you, we believe that he's the one that delivered the letter to Gaius. And if that is the case, then you're going to read an endorsement here. John's going to say, listen, this guy, I give him a thumbs up. You're going to see that here. He makes sure to tell Gaius that Demetrius is faithful and true. Look at verse 12. Demetrius has a good testimony from all. And from the truth itself. And we also bear witness and you know that our testimony is true. In other words, everybody agreed when it came to Demetrius. He had a good good testimony. He's faithful. He's true. He's the real deal. He lines himself up with the truth. John adds his amen as well. Now this reminds me as I read verse 12. Reminds me of the truth that we all have a testimony. Did you know that? We all have a testimony. I have a testimony. If you're a believer, you have a testimony. Maybe a good testimony. Or it may be a bad testimony. But you've got a testimony. Other people see your life. And your life speaks volumes. And you know, testimony is not really something we can hide. At least not forever. Sooner or later, the real us comes out, doesn't it? Comes out eventually. Kind of like when you're carrying a pitcher of tea. Maybe you're thirsty this morning. I don't make you any thirstier, but you know, a big old pitcher of tea, iced tea, sweet. We like it sweet, right? You put syrup, you almost like syrup. You stand a spoon up in it. You carry in that pitcher of tea. There's no lid on it. If somebody bumps into you, what happens? Then that tea sloshes out. It spills out. 
And what happens many times in our life is what? We're going along and we get bumped by trials and bumped by pressures and bumped by struggles and problems. And what's on the inside eventually spills out. We've got a testimony. Beloved, I don't know about you, but I think you're like me. I want a good testimony. I want a good testimony. To have one, we need to continue in the truth. To walk with the Lord in faithfulness and obedience like Demetrius. It says very plainly there, Demetrius has a good testimony from all, but not just from people, from the truth itself. His life lined up with the truth. And John says, listen, I also bear, we also bear witness, you know, that our testimony is true. So we have two shining Christian examples here. Godly, generous Gaius and faithful and true Demetrius. Now, these men were not perfect. And believe me, the best of men are men at best. None of us are perfect, practically speaking. Positionally in Christ, praise the Lord, we are perfectly in His righteousness. But on a day-to-day, God's still working on us, practical sanctification. But these men have grown in grace. But what's the old saying? We've seen the good, now comes the bad and the ugly. And we turn to a man by the name of Diotrephes. I'm not talking about his appearance, we don't know what he looked like, but about his life. Diotrephes, two words to describe him, proud and domineering, proud and domineering. We opened our message this morning talking about pride and preeminence. We said there is no room for pride in our lives, no room. We're sinners saved by grace, believers, no room for pride. And only one is to have the preeminence, and his name is Jesus Christ. But Diotrephes either had forgotten those things or just was totally ignoring them. What his official position in the church is, we don't know. We're we're not sure. But he had reached a level of leadership. And he wasn't fit for it. When Bob Feller was only 17 years old, he signed a contract to play in the big leagues with the Cleveland Indians. And the trainer happened to be in the room when this 17-year-old young man tried on his new uniform. Imagine the excitement of a 17-year-old putting on a Major League Baseball player's uniform because he was a Major League Baseball player. And he's there trying on this uniform for the first time. And the old-timer said, well, son, how does it fit? How does it fit? Well, nervously putting on his cap and sliding on his head, the young man replied, the cap seems a little big. And the trainer came back quickly with, we'll see that it stays that way. It's <laughs> good advice. No big heads needed here. No getting too big for your britches. Your mom ever said that to you? She used to say that to me. Get too big for your britches. You weren't talking about, well, that's always been the case, but I'm talking about, you know. <laughs> When we've done all, at our very best, we are unprofitable servants. Unprofitable servants. How can we ever pay back to the Lord what He's given us and what He's done for us? Now, let's look at what Diotrephes was doing. We called him proud and domineering. That's not an unfair description. You're going to see it for yourself. Notice what he did. Look at verses 9 and 10. I wrote to the church, John says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. 
Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does. Prating against us with malicious words and not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. Let's make a quick list of what Dr. Fees was doing. First of all, he rejected the Apostle John. He rejected the Apostle John. John says, I wrote to the church, but Dr. Fees does not receive us. We don't know where that letter went. Someone suggested I went into Dr. Fees' shredder. Gone. Don't want to hear from John. He rejected the Apostle John's reaching out. He, he rejected the Apostle John's writing. He rejected John. Why? Well, we notice, secondly, he wanted to have first place. John says about him there in verse 9, he loves to have the preeminence among them. First place. I want first place. The Diotrephes may not have voiced that, but that's what he lived. I want the preeminence. Of course, you and I know only one deserves the preeminence, the Lord Jesus. Notice, thirdly, he was spreading malicious gossip about John and his associates. It says it says in verse 10, therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does prating against us with malicious words. The idea is they're spreading gossip, malicious things, untrue things about John and his associates. See, one of the ways that he kept this leadership and the way he, he domineered and had the preeminence was to to pull down those who might usurp his authority. And he does that. Did you notice likewise, fourthly, he did not welcome or receive those who were apparently sent by John. It says in verse 10 later on, it says he himself does not receive the brethren. Those maybe who were sent by the Apostle John or other true preachers of the gospel, true preachers would come in and he rejected them. You can't come in here. You have no place in here. You're not welcome to speak here. He rejects them. He does not welcome them. No hospitality. Hit the road, Jack, and don't come back. No more, no more, no more. He rejects them. But he goes a step further. Did you notice he also forbids others in the church from welcoming them? Look at the end of verse 10. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to. Now, remember, they weren't getting on Travelocity and picking out a hotel room. This is the early church. These are these traveling itinerant preachers. And they come in and he says, listen, you can't come in and maybe somebody else. And Brother Freddy says, you can come stay with me. You can't do that. He forbids him. How's he do? He goes a step further. Did you notice he put those out of the church who desired to welcome these brothers? Look at verse 10 again, the end. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. We don't know what his position was, but it's obvious that Diotrephes ruled with fear and intimidation. Others were, I guess, sitting with shut mouths. They're not stir up old brother Diotrephes. Don't don't put the welcome out out for them. He'll put you out of the church. He'll kick you out. Now, let me ask you a question. Is this a model of service in the church that we need to follow? This means yes. This means no. No. 
This is not the kind of leader that any church needs. This is not Christ likeness. This is not servant leadership. This is self-exalting. This is pride. This is arrogance. This is domineering. And I find it interesting that John says he was going to deal with it if he was able to come. He was going to deal with it as the Apostle John. Now, one of the main reasons, if not the main reason that John wrote the little letter to Gaius, I believe, as I've looked at it, was to continue to is to encourage him to continue doing right. Look, look at what I mean. Look at verse 11. He just talked about um, diatrophies. Now, look what he says in verse 11. Beloved. So he's talking about to Gaius again, right? Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Then back up to verse five and look what he says to Gaius. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. He goes on to say, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Verse seven, because they went forth for his name's sake, they're laboring for Jesus, taking nothing for the Gentiles. Verse eight, we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Here's what I'm getting at, beloved. You see, if we're not careful, we can begin to let somebody else's sin lead us down a wrong road. Now, imagine that if Gaius and Diotrephes are in the same church, and I'm inclined to believe that they are, as talks about the church in the passage here. And you have Diotrephes who's ruling with intimidation and fear and putting people out of the church and all these things. Wouldn't it be very easy for Gaius to just say, you know what, I'm not sure it's worth the hassle. I'm not sure I want to welcome strangers. I'm not sure I want to send them on the way. I'm not sure I want to get involved in this anymore because it's just it's it's a lot to deal with. We can begin to cave into the pressure when someone else is sinning. We can forget the truth that we are to do right regardless. I think there are two big lessons we could take to this passage this morning. And number one is to do right. Regardless of what anybody else is doing, regardless if anybody else agrees with with what you're doing, if you're doing what God says to do, do it. Regardless, you do right. And if there's a diatrophies that raises his head and, and he's in sin and he's doing wrong, you keep on doing what's right. And you, and you don't let others lead you down the wrong path. But there's a second lesson that's very important for all of us to note as well. And that's this. Beware of pride. Remember that when we've done all, we've said all, we've served, we're just unprofitable servants. Now, to be honest with you, beloved, we need far more Gaius's and Demetrius's and far less biographies in the church today. And we need to remember that all of them, the good, the bad and the ugly, at the very best, all of us are just unprofitable Servants. Missionary Hudson Taylor many years ago was scheduled to preach at a large Presbyterian church in Melbourne, Australia. The moderator of the service introduced the missionary in glowing terms and eloquent terms. And he looked at that large congregation and he said this about Taylor. He told that uh, all that Taylor accomplished in China. And then he presented Hudson Taylor is our illustrious guest, our illustrious guest. 
Taylor stands up and moves to the platform and he stands quietly for a moment. And he opened his message by saying these words. Dear friends, I am a little servant of an illustrious master. Beloved, that is a truth we all need to hold on to and remember and never forget. We are little servants of an illustrious master. To him be all the honor, glory and praise both now and forever. Amen and amen. Father, it is with a grateful heart that we bow in your holy presence. And we so appreciate, Lord, this little letter that you saw fit to include in your word. A very personal letter between John and Gaius. And Lord, I thank you for the testimony of John and Gaius and Demetrius. And Lord, I thank you for the lessons we can take away from the life of Diotrephes, who lived in pride and arrogance and a domineering spirit. Father, I pray that you would help us all to allow the Holy Spirit to examine our lives and see where we are here. Lord, to see if there's pride, if there's arrogance, if there's self-will, if there's anything that would fly in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, if we see it and you point it out, may we quickly repent of it and forsake it. Lord, guard us. We know that none of us are immune As pride often will sneak up and catch us unaware. Lord, remind us and help us to remember that we are unprofitable servants. Now, Lord, that being said, I pray that you'll help us also to do right. Regardless of what others do, regardless of what others say, regardless of any opposition we receive, help us to do right. To live the truth. To line up with the truth. May our testimony be as Demetrius's. That we have a good testimony among all. Lord, if anyone here today does not know you, may this be the moment they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Bless this invitation, I pray. Amen and amen. We're going to sing 294 this morning. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. God, the Holy Spirit, speaking to your heart at altars open today, come and pray. If you don't know Jesus Christ, we'd love to introduce him to you. Just come and let me know. I'll place you with someone who will take a Bible and share Christ with you. Believers, you want to come and pray today, we invite you to do so. 294, as we stand and sing, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way.